Well, at this time, we are going to look to God's Word right now, and I trust that you at least enjoyed the hearing of the singing, and we'll have a little bit more of that as our evening progresses, but I'd like if you could, if you have your Bibles, and I do encourage you, even if you're at home right now, that uh, you would put things away and let's focus on God's Word right now. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and just asking the Lord what's what message to give this evening? This is the first verse that came to mind, and I'm thankful for it. Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at a few extra verses later on, but right now we're going to be focusing on verse 25. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. The Bible says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. I have a question for you this evening. What do you do when you're stuck in prison? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this, les- for this message you've given to us. And help us now to ask this question to ourselves. What do we do when we're stuck in prison? And for us, prison may be different things, different than what Paul and Silas endured. But help us now to learn what we can from the scriptures. We pray in your name. Amen. Now, this is a very famous passage. Most people who've read their Bible at least once or have grown up in church Gone to church, uh, growing up in church, you would have heard this story before. It's not a new, not a new one for us. But I'd like us to look at what happened just before this story took place here. So go back to verse number sixteen. So Acts sixteen, in verse sixteen, the Bible says, "And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying." The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and to the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Wow, what a story. Paul and Silas are doing the Lord's work. They're doing what God had commanded them to do. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul found himself in trouble. But Paul now, with his newly acquired partner at this time, Silas, are traveling around Europe. 
and they find themselves in a city. I've actually come to like this chapter, Acts 16. This is the, uh, this is the, in this chapter, this is where Paul meets Timothy. And just a few verses later, this is where Paul meets Lydia. So Timothy and Lydia, they, uh, it's, 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 it's a good chapter for, for myself. And a few, ver- few chapters later, he meets Titus as well. So it's kind of a family, family book for us here. But in Acts chapter 16, uh, back in verse 16 now, Paul and Silas are just preaching. They have just met Lydia. And now in verse 16, they are about to go to prayer. And this certain young girl comes to them with this spirit, this, this evil spirit. And she starts tormenting them. And it, the Bible says, for days she cried and made fun of them, saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. And for days, Paul put up with this spirit, just annoying and just staying with them all this time. In verse 18, he finally turns around and just says, come out of here. I can't handle this anymore. Come out of her spirit. And, well, the spirit leaves. But unfortunately, there were some men who were taking advantage of this girl. This spirit must have given this girl, uh, the Bible called her a soothsayer. So she must have had some kind of a special powers or abilities, maybe she could uh, read a little bit into what people were thinking. I don't really know what exactly what took place. I don't think she could actually read what people were thinking, but they were abusing her and using her for their own gain, for, for money. Well, when they saw that their source of income was gone, now <laughs> the only thing they knew to do was to attack the person that took away their income, Paul. And so they did. And to make the story uh, shortened from what the verses say. Basically, they got them beaten, bloodied, battered, and thrown into prison. Not only were they thrown into prison, but it says here the inner prison. If you look at verse 24, they were beaten, they were no doubt bloodied, and they were thrust into not just you know the first cell they found, but the inner prison. They did not want these people to leave. So now we come to verse 25. Paul and Silas have been beaten. They're bruised. They're broken. They're maybe frustrated. I mean, think about it. What did they do wrong to deserve being in here? And if you were in this situation, if you were just preaching the word like God told you to, and you turned around and you did a good deed by healing this young girl, and now you find yourself in prison for no apparent reason, what would you do? What would you do if you were stuck in prison? Well, let's look at what Paul and Silas did when they were in prison. First thing we see here in verse 25 is, it says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. The first thing they did when they were stuck in prison was pray. When others were asleep and all things were still and quiet, they prayed. You know, it's sad, actually. Oftentimes, this is the only time people decide to pray when they're in prison. And may not be physical prison, but whatever situation you're in that you may consider prison, when you're in a bad situation in life, This is oftentimes when people all of a sudden remember, oh yeah, God, (laughs) he can get me out of this. That we haven't spent much time with him in the past, but uh, I I need him now. So now I'm going to pray unto God. And it's unfortunate, but that's oftentimes how many Christians, how many people 
hard. I heard a story once about uh, in church there was a uh, it was a small church in in, a, in in the state of Kentucky in America, and right in the middle of church, this young boy stood up and he starts acting up in church. And uh, the, the people in the church were used to this young boy, so they weren't even paying him any attention. Well, the, he was starting to get really disruptive, so the dad, getting embarrassed, had to pick up his son, and the son started screaming. So embarrassed, he had to walk him down the aisle carrying his son in his arm. And as they were getting close to the door, the son stopped crying. And he turned back to the crowd and he yelled out, Would you all pray for me? I don't know what's about to happen to me. And the dad, stop it, son, and ran out the door. And it's interesting, the son didn't really care about the things of the Lord at that time. I mean, he was acting up in church, but now that he was about to get in trouble, oh, can you pray for me, please? Now, now it is that we come. And sometimes God uses events in our life, situations that are out of our control, that we don't understand, that we feel like aren't, aren't needful, that we don't deserve. God uses those oftentimes to get people's eyes back on him. And this is biblical. We see this all throughout the scriptures. And it's interesting, when things are going pretty good for us, we find ourselves oftentimes lacking in prayer or even just the desire to pray. When things are going well for us, when the job is good, when the hours are great, when the paycheck's not bad, when uh, there's food on the table and you know, the family's happy, when uh, we, we, church is going pretty good, when, when life is going pretty well for us, we find ourselves slowly praying less and less, talking to God less and less. We almost even start to forget about God less and less because our life is going pretty well. Things seem to be going great. God must be blessing me. But then, as soon as our life crisis hits, all of a sudden, our focus is back 100% full capacity on God now. Once the trials come, we find it easier now to even wake up in the morning, perhaps, to pray to God. Because now we have a need. Now, it, now it's affected us. Now maybe we have a, someone, a loved one who is sick, or our job is failing, or our car is not working, or the job is shaky right now. All of a sudden, we find, out, we, we find ourselves crying out to God, even though God's been there the whole time. Now we know Paul and Silas weren't like this. They were men of prayer. In fact, Right before they got thrown in prison, we were in verse 16. What were they about to do? It says, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel. And then the story breaks out. These were men of consistent prayer. So when they got thrown in prison, they just did what they always do. It wasn't any different for them. They weren't going to change their life because they were in a different situation. They were just going to do what they always did. They probably looked at each other and said, well, it's midnight. It's time to pray. I don't know what else we're going to do at this moment. I don't know how, what the Lord has in store, but let's pray. I often wonder what they prayed about. I mean, maybe it's kind of simple. They probably prayed for deliverance, as I would. Uh, pray for, for God to make a way for them to get out. Maybe for support under their present afflictions. No doubt they were, uh, and many commentators would say they may have been badly beaten, bruised. They may have even had some uh, bones that maybe were bruised or even broken. They may have had open wounds. They, they were in a great situation. Uh, perhaps they were praying for supplies of grace to enable them to bear with patience and cheerfulness until maybe 
there was a way for them to get out. Maybe they prayed for the enemies, particularly the jailer that was there. Perhaps they had lifted some prayers to the jailer. Perhaps they were praying for the churches around. They were praying for the saints, praying that perhaps the spread of the gospel would still be successful. I don't know what they were praying for, but they did pray. That much we know. I heard a quote recently. I have a great need for my Christ. And I have a great Christ for my need. We have a great need, Lord, but you're even greater. Paul and Silas realized this. There's a story, and I don't know if it's true, but it's, it's a good illustration of some uh, natives who were living in uh, Africa. And in this particular uh, village that they lived in, there, was a, there had been a Christian missionary that was there, and the whole village had gotten saved. And this village became known as a village of, of prayer. And each person in their, in their village had a section that they would go to each morning and pray. They would go out into the meadow, and they would pray. And there was some tall grass, and this was this person's designated prayer spot for that day. And, and every morning, they went to the same spot. Well, after a while, the grass, the pathway leading to their spot started to get worn down. And as a sign, wow, this person's been praying. But when someone's path started to grow grass again, you can tell uh, this person may not be praying anymore. And the question they would ask themselves often is, is there grass on your path? And that's a good question for us. On the way to your prayer closet, is the ground flattened down from constant wear and tear? Or has it not been stepped on much recently? When you're in prison, do you pray? In verse 25, the first thing that Paul and Silas did here was, it says that at midnight, Paul and Silas Prayed. But there's a second thing that they did. It says, prayed and sang praises unto God. The first thing they did was pray, and the second thing they did was praise. Praise and sing praises unto God. Now, whoa, okay. Praying, I understand. Okay, when you're in trouble and you're a Christian, I mean, prayer should be one of the first things you go to. Now, I know sometimes. When bad times happen, some Christians split and go the opposite direction. But I mean, when you're in trouble, I mean, one of the first things, I mean, praying is just kind of a, a go-to. It's kind of a, a no-brainer, so it should be. But this is a different step here. Not only were they praying, but they were praising God. Even though they were battered and bruised and possibly bloodied, they were broken, they were in a cold, unsanitary dungeon, perhaps, and for what? For casting out a, a demon out of a girl while preaching the gospel? I mean, they didn't deserve to be in that spot. They were innocent. They did only good things. They didn't deserve to be there. Why should they praise the Lord right now? If anything, perhaps a Christian may say, they shouldn't be praising, but they should be saying, why? <laughs> Lord, why am I here? Well, why did you do this? But that is not at all what Paul... Silas did. They sang 
praises unto God. There's a verse in the Bible that uh, doesn't always bring me comfort, yet it should. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Um, when I'm going through a hard time, what doesn't make me feel better is when someone says, smile, or it's going to be okay, you're going to get through this. It's like, okay, sure. It doesn't help me. What does help is not somebody telling me to be happy through it all. But that's exactly what this verse is saying. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. This word temptations here simply means adversity. So when you're going through life and adversity hits you, something you don't like, go through it with joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And if you continue reading, if you do it, you'll receive patience. And patience is something many people lack in our quick, fast-paced day and age that we live in. When I think of praising God in un, un, uh, unforeseen circumstances, I think of Joseph. Poor guy. He did nothing wrong, yet his, he found himself in slavery. His brothers got jealous. They got angry. They tricked him. They, uh, they, did, they did what they did. They threw him in a pit, and before you know it, he gets sold into slavery. Poor guy. Not to mention he finally, after... After a long time, he was able to work his way up in the chain, and he found favor in the sight of his master who had bought him, Potiphar. And he eventually rose up so high, he was basically in command of everything except Potiphar's wife. His patience paid off. But then, not too much later, you know the story. He uh, got accused of... Uh, or he, he got accused of adultery, and Potiphar had him thrown in prison, and now he's there for another two years. But he stayed patient. I'm sure he wasn't perfect in prison. He probably had some angry moments, perhaps. But God saw fit to see after two years, he rose him back up to become almost one of the most powerful people in that known world. Learning to praise through adversity, is something only a mature Christian can do. Learning to smile when the times are tough, it's not, it's not easy. Joseph, he did nothing wrong, yet he strove through life with joy and patience, found himself right where God needed him to be. He stuck with it. You never read in the scripture where he gets angry or mad at God. I, there may have been times, like I said, where he certainly was confused and didn't know why, but it would appear as if God blessed his patience and would end up saving his people back home. Boy, learning to praise the Lord when times are tough is something you and I must ask God for each day. Because right now, even my own life, as I was writing this message, I'm asking myself, you know, it's easy for me to say this now, but... What happens when something bad happens? What happens when that, that, that adversity hits? Can I still rise up and praise the Lord for all that he's done? We've all, no doubt, been through some hard times. Times of confusion, times of hurt, times of perhaps anger. 
times where someone you loved perhaps uh, passed away or was sick or were just the job wasn't where finances were, were tight or maybe just immigration problems. We go through these times and that is when the test of our character is shown. And it's when these moments come, we find ourselves looking in the face of God and God looking back at us saying, let's see what you got. And remember, God will never give you something you can't handle. He gives you only what you can to strengthen you. What did Paul and Silas do? They prayed and they sang praises unto God. What do you do when you're in prison? Do you praise God? But now we come to our final point here in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Now, this is important to get this. Not only did they pray, did they praise, but they also preached. So anyway, I didn't say that in the passage. I didn't see preach anywhere. But you have to understand, the word preach means to declare, to herald, to speak, to teach, or to proclaim. And we are all commanded to preach Christ, even when in prison. Paul and Silas right here, they were, what were they singing? They were singing praises. They could have been singing any song. If it, if, it, if it just said Paul and Silas sang, perhaps people skeptics would say, ah, they were, could have just been singing the, the, their favorite pop song of, of that year. You know, they could have been singing anything, but it specifically says that they sang praises unto God. And they didn't have to sing. They could have sang quietly to themselves. They could have been battered. I mean, what time was it? It was midnight. I mean, it, uh, it, if I was in a cell down the hall, I would not be happy if at midnight, especially if I just got beat, I'm trying to sleep, I'm trying to heal my wounds, and then some two crazy guys start singing in the middle of the night, I'm not going to be happy. Paul and Silas could have chosen to whisper the songs to each other, but instead they made sure that others heard their message. And perhaps they couldn't yell and scream and preach, so they felt in their hearts, and perhaps the Holy Spirit guiding them allowed them to preach even through song. And that's another message right there we will go into, but the power of music and how that can infiltrate hearts and lives. Making sure that the music you listen to and around others is pointing people back to Christ because you never know who's listening. You never know who needs to hear that message. But Paul and Silas, they chose to lift their voices so that those outside could hear them. And you know what? We as Christians are all commanded to preach the gospel. We're all commanded to be a witness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. No doubt they sang songs of Christ and salvation. 
It says that they were singing songs of praise unto God. They were uplifting his name. They were glorifying God through this time. Despite feeling sick and weak from the beating and harsh treatment, they still could only think of others and their need for a savior. I don't know about you, but if I was battered and beaten for something I didn't even do wrong, thrown in prison, I would have a really hard time thinking about others. <laughs> I would be focusing on this guy right here. I mean, perhaps if I had a friend with me, I'd be concerned about him, but I certainly, probably, and I hope I'm wrong, but chances are the average human would not be too concerned about everyone else around them. Because in my mind, I'd be thinking, well, these people in this cell, they probably all deserve to be here, but I don't deserve to be here. And Lord, I have more things to do out there. I need you to get me out of here right now. But Paul and Silas, they didn't care about themselves, though I'm sure they prayed for themselves. But even in the midst of darkness, even in prison, they found themselves preaching the gospel. And they didn't care who heard their rejoicing. In fact, they wanted others to hear the truth. Man, it's amazing how selfish we can be when we're in, quote, prison. When we're in a time of adversity, when, when things around us don't seem to be going the way we want, how selfish we can become. We start looking at ourselves as the victim and everybody else, and we forget that perhaps God has a reason for it all. We oftentimes get so enclosed in ourself. We feel perhaps that we don't deserve to be in that situation that we're in. So we pout, we grumble, we complain. We forget about everyone else around us that still needs Christ. How can we, if we are so consumed with our own situation, still preach when we're in prison. When we're in prison and when things aren't going the way we want, what we should be doing is pointing our life back to Christ. Paul and Silas not only let their light shine while in prison, but they actually got to see somebody get saved. We know the story. Look in verse 26. And suddenly, this is after they were singing, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open. He drew, his, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Poor guy, his whole life, I mean, the guy had one job, make sure the prisoners stayed in there. And they were in the inner chamber, the inner prison. There's no way these guys are getting out. Wakes up, the door is open, some random earthquake. He, prisoners are gone. He's thinking that they're going to kill me anyway. Might as well end my life now. And the Bible says, as he's about supposing that the prisoners had fled, was about to kill himself. Verse 27, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Why was he trembling? This poor prisoner 
had to hear the gospel sung to them all night. Probably listening to themselves thinking, what are these crazy guys doing? I imagine at first, he, he was, uh, maybe he tried to make them be quiet. doesn't seem like he did. At first, he may have thought, ah, oh, crazy guys. Maybe he got up and walked down the hall. Maybe it's why he wasn't there when the earthquake went off. Maybe he could hear them faintly down the hall. And he kept hearing these songs over and over again. And when this whole thing broke out and the doors were open and the prisoners weren't gone, they stayed. Why did they stay? He trembled, having the Spirit working on his life, went down on his knees in verse 30 and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow. Lord, is this why you put us in prison for that guy? That guy? You put us in here. Lord, did, you, did we have to get beaten for it? I mean, did we have to get battered and bloodied? Did we have to get thrown in prison like, like rag dolls? Did we have to get treated like, like trash? Lord, well, why did it have to come to this? Is that what it took to get them in the inner prison? Did they have to go through all that beating just to see him? Maybe. That's what the Lord had in mind. Sometimes we go through stuff we don't feel is due us. We feel like uh, it shouldn't have been happened to us. We feel like God wasn't right on his part to allow these things to happen. But we forget that God lives up here and he sees the whole play field. We, we're on the field. All we see is uh, what's around us. But God is up top and he sees the whole field. He knows if this takes place, we'll end up here. And that's where God needs you. We don't understand the mind of God at times, but perhaps all, this, all, all these things happened to Paul and Silas for this one moment. Verse 31, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And as far as we can tell, verse 32, they spake unto him with the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, uh, all his straightway. It would seem like he brought them home, that his family got saved and baptized. And it also says that all those in the house were saved. Uh, how many people got saved and baptized during this time? I don't know, but we know it was more than one. And why? Because Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, and instead of acting the way their flesh wanted to act, they prayed, and no doubt that praying led to praising. And then once their life and their heart was full of praise to God, perhaps without them even realizing it, their singing had rose to a level much higher than perhaps they started at a whisper and it rose just out of praise and admiration and glory to God. And before you know it, people were listening. God used that prayer and moved it to praise. And as that praise now began to proclaim the gospel, began to preach everyone else around, and they found themselves now out of prison, getting their wounds healed by a man they just led to the Lord. Man, what an example for each of us this evening. What do you do when you're in prison? When I was in college, I was praying and asking the Lord for wisdom on what to do with uh, the summer that was approaching. I was, uh, I was going into my 
junior year, my third, my third year in college, and there was many opportunities that came my way. There was an opportunity to work at, at this church or work here or work there, and I was really praying, Lord, what do I do with, with my summer? Where would you like me to go? And this was back in 2010, and at that time, I was involved in a sign language class at school. And at the time, I was only taking sign language because I had the option of sign language or Greek. And it seemed like a no-brainer to me. Uh, Sign language was way easier, especially since I had a sister who was deaf, and I already knew a little bit of sign language, so I thought, well, this is a no-brainer. So I was taking sign language. Well, near the end of that semester, they had a guest speaker come in. His name was Nathan McConnell. I remember him so well because he came up and began to present the need for sign language helpers, sign language interpreters to come and help at our camp that we have every summer called the Bill Rice Ranch. And I thought, what is this Bill Rice Ranch? And he began to explain, it's this massive campus, and it originally started out as a camp for the deaf. But since then, it's grown into uh, where thousands and thousands of kids come from all over, really, America each year, hearing and non-hearing, to this camp. And we have games and sports and horseback riding. It's kind of a cowboy-style place. And uh, horseback trail riding all the way into the mountains. There's four-wheeling. I mean, there's, uh, there's cookouts. There's all this stuff. Huge campus. He said, but we really need some deaf workers. He said, and specifically, we need some male deaf workers. He said, I can get girls to come easy, but to get a guy who'd be willing to give up a summer and work with the deaf is next to none. And God smote my heart. And he said, Tim, that's what you need to do. And I said, no, no, you got the wrong Tim, because I literally just started sign language, Lord. I know my alphabet, and I know a couple of conversational signs, and that, that's it. This can't be me. You have the wrong Tim. Well, I went home, or I went to my dorm, and I began to pray and pray, and uh, Brother McConnell was leaving the next day, and I said, I got to at least talk to him. So I, I went up, and I started speaking to him, and bef- somehow before the conversation ended, I was signing my life away that summer <laughs> to go work at the Bill Rice Ranch. Well, I arrive at the Areva campus. It was in Tennessee, hot, humid. It was just, oh, the weather was, I love BC. I love BC weather. Um, so here I was in Tennessee, barely knew sign language, and there was everyone, all the, most of the counselors there all spoke, uh, could all speak, so I had people to talk to for the most part, and uh, we all got together, this big orientation, there was like 75 staff that was there, all hired from different colleges, and I was one of them, I was excited to be there, and we start breaking up into groups, all right, uh, if you're in hearing group section A, you go over here, in hearing group section A, hearing group K, all right, now if you're uh, a male deaf counselor, uh, step over on this section. It's like, oh, that's me. So I stand up and I look around. No one's standing up right now. I was like, they're probably just in the back. It'd be fine. So I walk over to my section. I sit down and then he just keeps going. All right. And then if you're in a female uh, deaf leader, you could sit over this section and like 15 girls stand up and they walk over there. I'm like, uh, maybe they're late. You know, even though it's three days in the orientation, they're probably just late. Well, we get together, the deaf section gets together, and they start tele- teaching us, and I raised my hand, and I said, just curious, where are the other male deaf counselors? And he said, well, uh, you're, the, you're the only one this year. I'm the only one? 
do you did you see my resume? I don't know sign language. Like A B C. I can't remember the rest, sir. This is a mistake. And he said, well, there is one other deaf male counselor coming tomorrow, but he is deaf. He's going to help you with the deaf. I said, oh, fantastic. So the only guy I have who helped me, I can't even talk to him. This is great. So my summer did not start off the way I had planned. I was in a, I was in a situation where I couldn't even communicate well with others around me. And the only other hearing deaf counselor that was there uh, to help me with the guys was deaf himself. So we had no communication together. It was hot. It was humid. I wasn't very happy with the place that I was in. But finally, some light shone. On the weekends, when all the kids left, the staff got together to play football, American football. I thought, yes, finally have sports that I can play. I can get my, my mind and worries off of all the stress of trying to speak a language that I have no idea how to speak. I'm, I guess you're not speaking it. You're signing the language. But you understand what I mean. So here we are. We're doing tryouts, and we're Oh, it's so good just to stretch and to run. And I was running as hard as I could, catching balls, running. And uh, we got our teams picked. And uh, we were so excited. We, uh, the, the next weekend, we practiced, and we are all getting together. And then this third week was going to be our first game. I was pumped. I was excited. Right before the game, we were running some drills. I was running. And, um, right bef- and as we had some time in between our practice and the game. So in between there, I went to go and play basketball with my friends to keep loose. And while I had the ball and I was running down court, I made a stride and I, had, I felt this pain in my leg. I'd never felt this pain before. And I fell to the ground and I stand up. I try standing back up and ah, my pain, what is this pain? I'm too young for this, what is this? So they hobbled me over to the nurse station and I pulled my hamstring. So the one source of uh, vents that I, venting that I had, the, of excitement that I had that summer, it was gone. Now I couldn't run. I had to hobble everywhere. It didn't last the whole summer, but it lasted for about three or four weeks. And summers don't last very long. And then, right as my hamstring was about to heal, I, my throat started to get sore. So I went to the nursing station, and they swabbed me, and guess what? I had strep throat. So now I had to be isolated from everybody. At least I didn't have to sign for a few days. But I had to be isolated. And I, I say all this to say it wasn't, it wasn't the best, it wasn't what I expected the summer to be, what it was. Not to mention deaf kids who don't understand their leader are insane. They are crazy. I could not calm them down. I couldn't get them to listen. When I would try to preach to them at night, they weren't listening to me because I didn't even know what I was signing anyway. It was a bit of a disaster. I wasn't sleeping well at night because nobody was listening to me. And near... About three quarters of the way through the summer, I remember taking a stroll out and saying, God, what am I doing here? I obviously messed up. I obviously made a mistake. You're obviously punishing me because I wasn't listening to you. I, I should be at a church right now soul winning. or I should be running a camp, right, a different camp, not this camp. I should be anywhere but here. And I took a long stroll and I just had a long talk with the Lord. And it was through this time where God said, going to be okay. There's a reason you're here. I didn't know what that reason was, but I went back from that prayer time thinking, I can do this. I'm three quarters of the way through the summer. I can do this, Lord. And a little boost of energy came. 
that night on the weekends when the counselors were supposed to be sleeping, a lot of them were tempted to go out and sneak around and play with the equipment that they weren't supposed to. Uh, and I got tempted to do it many, many times and eventually finally just saying, no, I'm not, not going to do it. We're supposed to be in bed. And some of the guys were making fun of me a little bit. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be leaving soon, so who cares? Well, that next weekend, that next week, huge deaf church bus rolls up and I start to sweat. I mean, huge bus and about 50 deaf kids come out of this bus and they're all from the city of Memphis. And this is called the rowdiest group of them all. And they get out and there is this guy. He must have been 12 feet tall, at least, maybe 13. I can't remember. So tall. Uh, and he didn't know sign language. And I'm, I'm about eight feet tall, so I'm not quite 12 feet. So there's a bit of a, a gap difference here. And I'm trying to communicate with this guy. And he was a bit intimidating. And he had a bit of an anger problem. And he would pick things up and throw them when he didn't get his way. It was a rough week. But there was one kid in that group who, his name was Cameron. And he was, he was clinically deaf. But he had a cochlear implant on one side of his head. And my sister has the same exact implant. So I knew, every, I knew all about that implant. I knew exactly what it was. I knew how it worked. So I had a connection with him. And this kid, this deaf, uh, he, he becoming deaf just happened to him recently. He was like 13. So he just recently had this accident happen, and he didn't know sign language. But he was considered deaf. So the church sent him off with the deaf school to go. Well, Cameron, over, sitting over there in the corner, can't sign with anybody. I'm sitting on this corner. I can't sign with anybody. I thought, well, I could talk with somebody. I walk over, sit down next to him, and that whole week, he would not leave my side. He was just right here the whole week. And even when 12-foot tall guy, was, he would stay close to me, and uh, I would hide behind him to help me. But we, we were buddies that whole week because we could, I could just speak to him. I didn't have to sign. And Brother McConnell would preach, and he would sign the gospel. He would talk about hell and going there. It's a bad place. And uh, we have a voice interpreter as well who would speak because there were a few kids who needed, who liked to hear both. And by the second to the last night before we left, I remember Cameron coming up to me and saying, is hell real? I said, yeah, yeah, it's very real. I said, well, yeah, I've never really heard that before. Uh, and we began to, I began to open the Bible to him, and I began to show him from the scriptures what the gospel was. And it was later that night that Cameron accepted the Lord as a Savior, made a profession of faith. And I remember as I, as I sent all the kids to bed, the ones that listened at least, I remember walking out that night and saying, Lord, did I suffer this whole summer <laughs> for, for him? Was that, was that my purpose? Was that, was that the reason you came? Lord, surely there would have been an easier way. Couldn't I just have flown in just this one week, uh, talked to this kid, and then shot out of here? Wouldn't that have been much easier, Lord? And then you could have brought a more professional guy to actually minister to these children. We don't always understand why God does things in life. We don't always understand why situations arise. But when you are in your prison... What do you do when you're in prison? Do you pray? Do you praise God? Do you keep preaching? Keep preaching the gospel. 
when it comes to the life that we live in today and the world that's around us right now, I, I challenge you with this question. What will you do when you're stuck in your prison?